Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Happy Hello. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Anna, <laughs> wait until we're invited. Oh, for God's sake, Kelly, get the hell in here. Daddy, can I take Joy to our house? Where are sisters? I can't find them. Wait, I checked the entire house. They're not here. Dad, there was this RV, and they were playing on it. There was, we thought there was someone inside. You put those girls somewhere, Alex. No. I know you put those girls somewhere. 
He stays in custody until my daughter's found, right? We have a 48 hour hold on. It ends tomorrow unless we bring charges. Who charged him or something? Day six. And every day she's wondering why I'm not there. What in the world did you do? Someone has to make him talk or they're gonna die. I know you know where they are. Where's my daughter? Welcome to the show, everybody. It's the next reel. It's a film board, and uh, it's very special, very, very special. Uh, it's a, a special kidnapping episode of the film board. We're thrilled that, that you are, uh, have downloaded, and, and we hope that you have seen this movie, Prisoners. We're talking about Prisoners tonight. Uh, my name is Pete Wright, and we are here with, let's see, who's on the board? We've got the surly but darkly charming Mike Evans. Hi, thank you very much. We've got Andy Nelson. He's here. <laughs> Yeah, it's me. Maybe we, is it the potentially absentee Andy Nelson. <laughs> and uh, um, can I be captivating tonight? You can be captivating, Ooh. and the captivating Steve Sarmento. <laughs> Steve, uh, always, always a treat to have, Thank have you. you on these things. So, uh, all right. So, uh, we are uh, we are going to be talking about prisoners tonight. We have seen it. I am. This is another one. I feel like I'm. I may be an island uh, in in this uh, conversation. And, and let's just say, like, can we get it out of the way? We're going to spoil this film. That's what we do. We spoil the film. So get ready. If you haven't seen Prisoners yet and you don't want to be spoiled, again, step away from your internet sound machine and go see this movie and then come back. Now, who would like to give us a little bit of a, uh, a backgrounder on the film? I think Steve said he was going to. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can do that. So in terms of background, I, would, I was going to start with the fact that this was... Um, this was a script that was on the 2009 blacklist, which is a list of the best unproduced screenplays. Uh, so it, it was floating around for a while, got some attention. There were a lot of people, different people that were attached to this project before it settled on this current cast, which includes, of course, Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, and I noted that I think at its runtime of two hours and 26 minutes, this is one of the longest films the film board has reviewed. And in keeping with nice. the way we normally do this, it's probably going to mean we're going to have a two-hour conversation. <laughs> or it's only going to be 15 minutes. It's actually an inverse relationship. There we go. But I, I think if I was going to sum this whole thing up, it really comes down to asking the viewer whether or not they really believe in the idea of the end justifies the means, or if you're more of the bent of asking yourself the question, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And it's some really heavy uh, philosophical topics, I think, that come to play in this film about what a father will do when his daughter is abducted from him and the lengths that he will go to and the consequences and how this, this community is really all drawn into this really complex web uh, throughout this, this story. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. I'm trying to keep I, us. I'm trying to keep us under the two hours. No, that's well, good. You're, well, you're well, jumping well, right said, into it. Was so, that was that a hundred characters? Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, we'll be tweeting later. that later. <laughs> How many stories do we have woven in here? We have the kidnapping story, right? We have the mm-hmm. kidnapping yes. story, which is really uh, uh, surrounds uh, Hugh Jackman and and um, 
and and his family and Terrence Howard and his family as their daughters are are abducted. We have the detective story, which weaves in the the sort of the mazes, and they come together in um, the uh, you know the the how how would we define how the the uh, the perpetrators uh, uh, kind of weave into the detective and kidnapping stories? There's a, it, there is that. I don't know if this is kind of a, a point of weakness, but it seems like there is that third story about you know the the father and the um, you know the discovery of him in the house and the mazes. Uh, so where would you oh, like you mean the to? The father, like the priest. Yeah, yeah, the father, okay. the priest. Yeah, right, padre. Well, I think there. I think uh, just on just to, on that piece of it. So there's the there's the um, I don't know. You could say there's the obvious. Um, what you get from the trailer, right? That there's a kind of what would you do, you know, to, to save your, to rescue your daughter type of thing. How far would you go? And then there's the cop thriller. And then the, the last piece of it is the, I think uh, the more subtle is like, um, like how, how dark even, even the, the, uh, the people who are supposed to not be that way can be. Right, and it's sort of salt and pepper throughout throughout the thing. You can start uncovering little things that are not germane necessarily to the main the main storyline, but you're like, but are evidence of other people who have gone through that that sort of um, decision process to different results or or to similar results in some way. Yeah, I I think um, you know without spoiling at this point specifically, we there's there's this child abductor this character and there are several stories that we come across you know if you go back in time a little bit in this community there you can see these ripples back through the impact of abduction and the impact it has on these people's lives we have the detective going to visit you know a woman whose son was abducted 26 years ago and sort of we can see how that's affected her life right. and everything you know sort of spools out from this 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 central you know, sort of story of these these child abductions, and it was really interesting to see how they sort of interacted with each other. Um, but it got me thinking about how how those um, those consequences and those impacts really were played out in different scenarios. Sort of the different results, different paths these people ended up on as a result of their sort of the the impact of the abduction on their lives, because there are. There's, uh, yeah, we talked about, you know, Hugh Jackman and, and Terrence Howard, which is the, the current abduction, but there's, we've got the woman that's, that's interviewed, and there, um, there's also a, uh, another character that we, that we come across that uh, has been uh, abducted at one point and this has escaped, and sort of the, what that has done to his life. Uh, and it, even there's, the, uh, there's a, a book that's found as a piece of evidence I believe in that relates into this as well. So there were a lot of different threads coming back, as I see it, all to this sort of central uh, child abductor figure. And, I, and it was. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, and I don't know if I would separate the 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 cop story from this element of the story that we're talking about with these, oh. with this, you know, the mystery about the the various abductions that have been happening in, happening in this community over the last, uh, you know, tw at least we know twenty six years. Um, in a way, I mean, that really is kind of what a, a cop detective thriller is all about. I mean, look at Silence of the Lambs. It's, I mean, yes, you, you're following the, the story of the detective and of the 
the kidnapper, but I don't know if I would separate those out as two separate stories as much as, you know, the story of the parents dealing with uh, their grief and dealing with their own way of feeling um, they need to, uh, you know, do their own detective work to to uh, find their missing daughters. Well, I think you can in just one aspect of it, which is the fa- a point of view. So sometimes you're in the parents, though, more focused on the, fa- the one main father, Keller's point of view. You know, you're following, kind of following him around. And then you're also following the, the detective around. I think that's where, why it almost... By no, I'm, I'm, tends, I'm, tends I'm not to, disagreeing with that. Yeah. I'm saying that there's not three stories. I'm saying it is just the two stories. I wouldn't separate the the other perpetrators as a third story, I think, which was Pete, what something that Pete had kind of brought up initially. Well, it wasn't even about, is, yeah, Andy, I mean, I, I see your point. It wasn't really about the third perpetrator, and it's hard to, to or, or it wasn't about the, 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 the perpetrator of this as a, but, but more the story of the multi-generational abduction, you know, family abduction drama, uh, where we, we end up introducing um, these these other elements, and I, I think you're right. It, by the end, you know, it sort of wraps up, and we realize where all these connections are made. And it it really is. I mean, it's it ends up being sort of two stories. But but for much of the film and much of the second act, it feels like three. Uh, and and I think I could go either way. That there's the Hugh Jackman character when he is, um, you know, when he's in um, uh, at home mode, you know, trying to adjust and and be a, a part of his family, and but he can't be a part of his family. And there's the Hugh Jackman when he's out on, you know, I'm the hunter mode, uh, and um, he, you know, I think we see some some really interesting dynamics in his portrayal uh, of of you know this this father. Um, but uh, and then we have the the, the police drama. So, well, I think I think you have a valid point, just from the stand of of it's a <clears throat> you know not not a full point, not a fully formed point of view, but it's a it's a distraction. So like you know you're focused on the kidnapping, and then you're focused on the um, the detective aspect of it, and then every like literally every time he goes and talks to somebody, the detective goes and talks to somebody, you get a little little storyette, like a little. Um, small little vignette of, of a story that you're like, oh, well, what's going on over there? Like, is that germane or is it separate? You know, it's not, like you said, it, it does tie it all in at the end. But during the movie, you're, it's sort of this third, this extra piece, this extra storylines that you're kind of having to maintain in, in your head. But does that make it a distraction or does that make it a more complex thriller, <clears throat> which is, I mean, let's be honest, as, as you know, a theater-going audience in 2013, I mean, when it comes to telling a, a thriller of any sort, we want to have that complex story because we, we are much more of a mature audience than we were, you know, 10 or 50 or 100 years ago when we, when we get these stories. And we want those complexities because uh, we need to have those twists and turns in order to really make it a compelling thriller cool. that drives us through to the end so when the big reveals happen, it makes it that much more engrossing for us. So I mean, um, well, okay, you're probably—I mean, you're probably right in in general. You know, from my standpoint, from a you know just viewing standpoint, they were throwing distractions throughout the whole movie, in my opinion. Right now, I think that could a lot of it could have just been chaff to try to make it so you kind of had to work and pay attention. Like, like for one of my big examples would be the dialogue between the police chief and the detective. I don't think it really, it really resolved anything. I, I didn't understand 
where the conflict came from. Like there wasn't, there was no backstory with the detective to explain why there was the, the you know, that re, that sort of, um, uh, relationship with the police and it never got resolved with this, with his boss and it never got resolved. Like, well, I, I don't I think I didn't understand why, why they were focusing on it so much. Well, well I, I was... you know, I think that was just more pure character development. I mean, that was like, you know, there's backstory elements there that I don't think they need to introduce for us to find the the character relationship very interesting. Well, and that was a that was an issue for me too, uh, but uh, in in this case a, a positive one. You know, I uh, to me I I felt like uh, what we were seeing in that relationship is a sense of ownership of the case. And I needed, you know, I think I needed to see that uh, from Gyllenhaal's character as a detective that, you know, we we have, we've already heard through dialogue that he is, he's never not solved a case, right? And now we get to see demonstrated why through their interaction because of this sort of deep ownership. To me, I, I felt like that added to his character, which was otherwise just, you know, a series of him, uh, of, of scenes of him either watching other people or, you know, blinking rather heavily. Well, and, and maybe I just didn't understand why it was that way. Because well, there, and, and it, didn't, it didn't impress upon me. But for me, it felt like during the movie there was just unresolved, like they didn't explain it. There's, there's a little bit in there if you pay attention very carefully and it may come out more in a second viewing because it is, as you said, there's a lot of distractions so it's hard to sort of know which little pieces of information are things that you really need to hold on to and it didn't click for me until after there's a scene later on where there's um, a suspect that they have and that ends up uh, shooting himself and there's a scene where he, you know, where Detective Loki is there, and the the, the captain has said, said basically, well, there, there goes your chance with, with PSP, with the Pennsylvania State Police. And I think there was something earlier on in one of the early scenes where there was a brief exchange where it's suggested that Detective Loki is, is trying to get promoted out of sort of that small town up to the level of the state police. And so I think there's a little bit of that animosity of the captain holding him back. He's got some ambitions towards something larger. And so he wants to do this his way so he can get this case solved because you know he, he knows he can do it, but he's got to get it done his way because he's the guy that never, you know, doesn't solve a case. And I think there's that's that dynamic. And it's not something that's really played up in some dialogue that was really obvious, but I think on a second viewing, maybe I'll detract that for it a little bit more clearly. And I think that's something that they do uh, smartly through the whole film, mm -hmm. both uh, you know the both the uh, the writer Aaron uh, Guzikowski and the director uh, Denny Villeneuve, when they are very smart about the way that they disperse information, I, I think it's it's one of those films that I feel like they're very sh assured in how it was written and how it was directed and how it was acted, where they didn't have to spell everything out for the audience. I mean, even leading up to the ending, I, and I, we, I won't jump into what how it ends yet, but I just feel like they know enough to give the audience what they need, or, or for the most part, I guess, maybe not for everybody, since, uh, since it's not, uh, it didn't click with Mike, but I think in a, in a <laughs> for everybody but Mike. No. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I, 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 I just so you know, I've I watched these type of movies before, right? At the end of the movie, you start ticking off things in your brain. Oh, that's how. Oh, yeah, that's why they did that. Oh, that's why they did that. You know, it all kind of closes itself up, right? And that's what got me was it wasn't it wasn't early in the movie because you know once you once you sort of settle into the the the, the pace and and you understand what they're kind of doing, you you kind of get it. Like like they showed. They they made a like a um, uh, when they're doing the shots they they made a uh, on purpose to show all of his uh, tattoos on the detective detective Loki at, at almost every there's one you know, one on his neck there's there's a cross on his one hand there's weird symbols on the knuckles of his other hand and and it seemed like they like they they were trying to tell say something or like it was trying to you know lead to something later and I felt that was something else that just never got wrapped up cleanly like why like you know why why did they make such a um a uh an effort to to show that stuff off and, and so it's one of the that's one of those things the relationship is just sort of like oh it just didn't seem like it was resolved obviously but you know maybe i'm uh maybe i uh i don't have the horsepower to figure it out it's also possible you know the i i am i agree actually and there were a number of points that i i think were um uh, that I wanted more, a little bit more exposition or demonstration of what these things were, and and in you know in part I don't feel like the tattoos um, were explained. I feel like there is some sort of a a tie uh, between um, you know the tattoos on his fingers, which my understanding is uh, you know they're astrological symbols, um, and his name and Loki and the role of Loki in in Norse uh, astrology is the trickster god and and you know what is you know what is what is that role I didn't see that connection on screen like I didn't have any sense that there was a demonstration uh, or or a deeper meaning to you know Jake Gyllenhaal's performance as this character and and how this character sort of you know was how those elements were important to his portrayal. I, di- I didn't see that connection I wanted. Well, and he also that. had the dialogue with the lady in the Chinese restaurant. Yeah, which was ultimately well. unresolved. Like, I, I mean, I feel like there was that little little pepper of, of dialogue there, which is great, and then we didn't really see much more from uh, about that. And and so, you know, and I haven't read the script yet. Steve, I, I know you said you, you read the screenplay. Andy, have you mm-hmm. read it too? I have not. Okay, so Steve, you know, you made some comments about some, you know, they made some choices in the in the you know the film that that deviated from the screenplay that you read. Can you? It, it, was there any sense that that more of these things were resolved uh, in, in the screenplay, and that they may have cut them in production? Not not specific to Detective Loki. Um, you know, there there was, um, you know, actually regarding any of those issues. No, there there's some things. Later on, towards the end, with some of the other characters, one thing with um, Hugh Jackman's character at the Thanksgiving dinner, there are, in the in the script, there's a lot of specifically descriptions of him drinking glasses of milk, so that what you know everybody else is drinking wine or whatever, and he's drinking milk, so that it right. later on when the, he Detective Loki is following him and confronts him outside the liquor store, and he says, "Oh, I haven't had a drink in nine years," it may have been that. You know, again, suggesting that he maybe had a drinking problem at one time or, or you know, and again, which plays into a conversation that he has with his son at one point about, you know, his son is very upset with him because he's, he's gone and then some thinks he's just sort of fallen off the wagon again, he's out drinking all the time. And so because of that 
lack of sort of focus on him avoiding alcoholic beverages early in the film, it didn't come across as much in in the film. Well, but so I that got was that. Just, was it was it strong enough in there? That, I think so. I mean, I okay. got that when he said I haven't had a drink in nine and a half right. years or something like that, and then his his uh, son said he's out drinking. I mean, I mean, I got what they what they were saying is that the assumption was is that he had he had lost control and he was out drinking. When you know, obviously, yeah. you're like, no, he wasn't. Oh, see, because I took the the line as he's just feeding Loki a line because he's trying to throw him <laughs> off the trail of why he's really out in that part of town. Right. But, yeah, I, I actually bought the alcohol because it, it, it just seemed like sort of a predictable thing. And, you know, of course he's got an alcohol problem. <laughs> that's, that, uh, that's kind of par for the course. He's an angry guy. man. Yeah, he's an angry former drunk. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. And and not to be, you know, and I, you know, I'm I'm not one to shy away from calling out things that I feel like I got. And there were a lot of things in this movie that I didn't get that were pleasant surprises to me that I I, I really liked. Um, but the other thing that I, I felt was undeveloped and was probably the biggest disappointment for me in the film is the use of mazes. Um, and, and I think that plays into the Loki references, you know, and the, this idea of tricks and tricksterism and, and um, you know, having to use those that set of wits to um, uncover this particularly nasty maze thing. But the maze thing ended up being a MacGuffin in this film, right? I mean, was there any any sort of larger tale apart from the fact that one of the creepy guys has a lot of mazes on those walls? Well, I don't know if I'd call it a MacGuffin. Uh, I mean, it's it's a it's an integral clue to you know figuring out the the uh you know the case for loki but, but it could have and, been anything and, but not in a maze it could have been anything not, yeah but not yeah exactly no, yeah they didn't use well, it yeah, as I mean, maze like you know maze no. theory and those things they used right. it it's, as a oh that symbol looks like that symbol right and i know there was a book that was brought up later about uh that, that somebody had referenced that about you know lost in the maze or breaking free from the maze or something like and that and that she had said I if you finish all the if stuff. you finish all the mazes you can go well, home not, and not that, can. yeah, right. But there was a, like an actual published book that somebody brings up at some point. I can't remember where that book was or that somebody it's, had referenced. It's, it's, it's in the house with the mazes drawn all over the walls, and it's, it's suggested it's an actual, that right. it's an actual yeah. book of a guy who, it was a detective that wrote a book about some you know child abductor called the, that he named the Invisible Man because it was like some either unsolved case. And so it was... You know, the thought was that this person had read that book and was basically like a copycat. And so that's because the, oh, right, the, right. Maze, the the mazes that he had were photocopies of mazes that were in that book, the detective's book. Right, right. He hadn't come up with any of his own original right. uh, mazes even. That's right. Well, and, the key, and the key point was the last maze was unsolvable. Right. And I thought that, okay, I thought that little piece. Which was, was, the, which was the maze that the guy had on his... Uh, neck and the maze that the guy was drawing, correct? Yes. That yeah. was the unsolvable one. Yes. Uh, I don't know about that. All I know I is that's... I, I got the impression that, well, maybe, I got the impression that that was sort of thrown out. That was one uh, another of those pieces that was thrown out that did not lead to, you know, anything. Or, or maybe it was a tie back to the thing where it says, if you finish all the mazes, you can go free. Well, guess what? The last one's unsolvable. You're never going to go free. Can I just right. clarify for me, you, I, uh, who, Andy? I think that you just said the maze that was on the guy's neck. Are you talking about the amulet, or a tattoo, or the tattoo 
on Loki. That wasn't a maze, right? I just no, want no, to feel no, like no, I didn't miss it. Well, no, I'm talking about the, the, I mean, I guess uh, we're kind of entering spoiler territory if we're talking about the specific. Yeah, that's it, fine. But, uh, okay, so we're in spoiler territory. It's the, ne- the, the necklace that's on the dead body in the priest's basement the uh i mean i guess you're calling it an amulet i think of an amulet as having a big jewel on it but all right well medallion uh <laughs> medallion sauce is, his, bling. Sauce. his bling his bling his corpse bling uh, all right i just wanted to clarify I make sure i didn't miss something out his teeth back he had a nice uh grill, a nice, uh, grill to go with his too, bling yeah. maze yep. grill mm. um <laughs> So okay, so that that makes sense to me. I but but you see what I'm saying? This to me, and and it sounds like you guys didn't didn't read this way. Uh, to me, this is a gun on the mantelpiece discussion. That they made such a big deal about mazes as being an integral part of this puzzle that when we get to the resolution of the kidnapping, there are no mazes involved. It is the mazes are done, and so the symbols of the mazes ultimately are are clues, uh, milestones, just to tie these things together, tie these these disparate elements of the case together for Jake, uh, Gyllenhaal, uh, but ultimately don't have any uh, sort of resonance with us as viewers. And my problem with that is really quite specific. Because they chose a maze, which has its own vernacular and symbolism in itself, there comes a set of expectations with the maze that we need to see resolved. And uh, for for me, you know, we, we have an expectation that the maze introduces a new set of complexity or complexities to the final resolution of the case. And when it doesn't pay off that way, that ends up coming at a deficit to the overall story arc. And that's, that's the, that really is my ultimate problem with with the, the wow. way the film is well, more no 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 and i agree with pete because um i thought i thought like like I, I thought at some point they were going to do the excavation of of, of the house and the, underneath the little house was going to be like this huge caverns uh, set up in a maze format or something like something oh, because the no. when he finally gets the a little bit of of admission out of alex uh, you know um uh, I guess try to keep it as spoiler free as possible in the condition that Alex was and in. Yeah, we're done with it. Yeah. yeah. So he finally squeaks out a little bit. They're, They're in, in the, the maze. maze. Right? Right. Right? Right. That doesn't, tra- what, I still don't know what that translates to. Okay. What does that mean? Is that what the mom Can I pull this together for you guys? Is that, is yeah, that what the go, mom called? Go ahead, Uncle Steve. Okay. Okay. Oh, so okay. so yeah. here, so here's the thing. So you've got, you've got the, sort of the, origi- the original abductor <laughs> who's the, the corpse down in the, you know, underneath the, the, and his, the church. Right. And you know, his wife, right. And his, w- and and his wife. wife. So he, he's got that, team. yeah, he's got his medallion or whatever that has this pattern at it, which is an unsolvable maze. So she, the two of them have been abducting kids, and they have basically, you know, a book of mazes I'm, I'm getting, that they give the kids is something to do and tell them, hey, when you can solve all the mazes, you can go free. Why do I think that? Because Bob who is this copycat who's basically replicating the consequences of his, you know, the situation of his own abduction because he's got, you know, kids clothes. He's got the snakes, which we find out later on that he's basically recreating mm-hmm. what, what happened to him. And since he's got a book like that, I'm think I think, ah, okay. He's got a book like that. That's something they did to him. The girls are there. I think there's this, there's in that room, we actually see that they've got that book there with them in the, in the room where we see the two girls so it's something that, you know, is, is an activity that the kids are given. But now for, you know, for Alex, who, who we find out was an abductee, you know, being in the maze is, you know, sort of living in that, you know, 
in that house with, you know, what, you know, they're, they're stuck in there. They can't escape They're you know, and for Bob, it's messed him up so bad. It's just scarred him emotionally. So it's, it's not, you know, I would have been extremely disappointed if there was a literal maze in the house. It's something that, you know, is keeping these kids occupied. It's just messing with their heads to get creating this false sense of hope that they'll one day be able to, to, to escape. And, and yeah. you know, these, this, this couple is probably one of the most sinister mm. couples I've ever seen in a film. Their yeah. motives are just so dark and twisted. It is, you know, it's just the, the puzzle of, of them and what so the I, consequences are. And, and, so I completely, I would, and I completely agree with that. I mean, I, that's, that was, for me, the maze in this film was, was this mental torture that these people put these children through. And not just the people or the children, but also, you know, by... Uh, virtue of the children being abducted the the families as well and it's the whole mental uh maze that a parent has to go through then to you know fight with their own religious beliefs and all that so it's, i for me it was all about mental mazes and if they brought an actual physical maze into this film i would have totally thought that they failed as filmmakers because it would have been so on the nose and just a a, a cheap hollywood ploy to to bring in an element into the film that just felt so Obvious. No, and, and I want to make make clear, I also agree with that. It would have been a failure to introduce a physical maze. That would have been nonsense, right? There are very few movies that handle physical mazes well. And, and in this case, that's not the failure I'm calling out. To me, the weakness is they chose the maze in the first place. It, it's a metaphor yes. that doesn't work because, they're, oh, they're, to me, it does not work for me because, right, it, sure. is, uh, it, because it, it comes with its own sense of symbolic weight that they did not play off significantly enough in this film in the way I saw it. And don't get me wrong, I really, I mean, it's, it feels like I'm, I'm setting this up to say I really hated this film because of that. That, to me, ends up being a minor uh, uh, grievance, uh, where I think for, for Mike, it sounds like it was much more significant, or at least part of no, it. No, no, no. Um, no, no. I, I, I agree with you. So the, the point is, I'm not saying um, it should have been. I said the, the, it's one of those things that it felt like they introduced it as a concept in the movie, but did not play it all the way through to where you really understood, like you can, you can, you can justify or rationalize why mazes were used as a terminology. But when you, when, and I wasn't sure whether or not the, the, the little medallion that the guy was wearing was an actual maze or if it was like, um, you know, like Native American art, which isn't mazes. You know, I, I didn't understand if it was really meant to be. Um, I am pretty, I am a, pretty a reference, sure. I'm pretty sure that Loki does reference the maze that Bob is drawing on the table as the unsolvable maze from the book, which is the medallion that the guy's wearing. Right. So I'm I, pretty sure it okay. is the unsolvable maze that he has on his neck. Okay, so I, I mean, I didn't know if it was actual or, if, you know, it was just sort of like uh, related to. But but either way, it was like uh, I, I, the maze terminologies, were, I don't felt was complete, was was fully fleshed out in the, in the film so that it was, I mean, you know, maybe it just, I feel like you have to jump to conclusions to, to make that relation. Well, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of areas in this film where it's going to ask you to, to jump to conclusions. I mean, what I find interesting about it is they ask Bob to draw a map of where the kids are, and that's what he draws because he's still in the maze. I mean, this becomes you know a, a very much a, a, men, a, a frame of mind of being trapped by this couple, even if you're physically have physically escaped as as he has, he's still trapped in this maze. He is you know, in a place mentally where he's never going to return to okay. his normal life. Well, and I think that's... So, no, no, but so just to, just to, you know, wrap up my piece of yeah. this, right? 
I did not get the impression that the couple were the they, they never sort of put them uh, or introduced them or sort of set them up to be maze builders or to be um you know of that of that um I'm not going to oh, no. mental level but I'm saying right. you know, of that of that particular level where where that is what you would get out of it what what you got out of them was that they were just they lost a kid they lost their son and they're blaming God and they're taking it out on everybody in the world. Right. Right. And, and yeah. I didn't get the impression that they were like, like crazy maze building people that they've, they've introduced that it's almost like they threw a book and they knew that nobody, they knew the kids wouldn't be able to do it at the end. And this is uh, Alex and Bob, this is what they did. Mm-hmm. This is what it did to them. Right. You know, the result, the two, the, the only two examples that we have of people who have survived these two people this is what it's messed them up enough because they threw this book at them. Now, that's you know, you know, and, and you yeah. know, hearing you say that, I mean, there is there's there's this sort of new element of depth that I'm I'm kind of seeing, which is the sense that, um, you know, what I like, what I do like about uh, this is the kids, the the now we have the copycat and Alex, their interpretation uh, takes on a a magnified sense of importance in the mazes. Uh, even though the parents were just throwing these books, might have been just throwing these books at them, the kids sort of, that's just what kids do. You know, you're always sort of surprised as you look at your kids and think, what are the things they're taking from me as a parent and making much bigger than was, you know, than, than I would give my own sense of importance to that thing. Um, Absolutely, it becomes, yeah, it their, becomes world. their world, and yeah. I, I do, I, I recognize that. I, I think that's an angle I hadn't, hadn't considered. Um, so that's good. Well, because I call that a she, win. She proves... She proves them to be very indelicate, you know. Basically, you know that whole dialogue with between her and Keller at the end of the near the end of the movie, where she's, you know, she is not a. I mean, she's. You can tell she's been doing this for a long time, and she knows what to do. She knows how to handle it. I thought. I thought that just to get off on performances. I thought her performance at the end was amazing. How she was pacing it, yeah, and you know, controlling this guy who could obviously, you know, kick her butt. And he had a gun in his thing that she found later. And she was able to, through minutiae and slight of information and things like this, and, and was able to control him um, amazingly, right? But that, And that's the part. I, I, I never got the, the fact that these people were masterminds. It just, I got the impression that these people were just, you know, deranged. The angry God and determined to kill everybody yeah. else. Well, and and that's God that is a really. that is one of the really powerful lessons of this film, I think, which is or, or messages, which is um, interestingly using them as an example of the power of faith, right? Uh, that yeah. they're they are exercising their power of faith against God and against the message of God, and they're doing it in as Steve says, an incredibly dark way. Um, which, which is a, it's I, I think a, a wonderful illustration of how to get this this sort of message of the power power of faith across. I found it fascinating. Well, and I think you know you pair that with uh, Keller and and his performance. I mean, he is a very you know very much a God loving man. I mean, he's I mean he's got his cross. He's listening to the the Christian stations, and he very much is in that world. We hear him saying the Lord's Prayer a number of times before he, uh, at the very beginning, also when he's in, you know, in the midst of his torture. Um, and so we get that sense. But at the same time, he is very much a man who 
while having a great faith in God also because he's kind of this, you know, this survivalist, this, this prepper uh, guy who kind of, you know, has his stash in the basement to prepare for the end of times. He, um, he really is also just all about himself and knowing how to, you know, knowing what he needs to do to survive himself. He doesn't just rely on God. And so I thought that was an interesting balance between them and their, you know, anti-faith stance and him and, in the faith of himself and God to survive. Well, and that's the context, or that's the uh, the the sort of complex contrast of the film. That you know his his faith drives him to do some incredibly dark things. Right. Well, okay. So my my comment, I, I had written something down for this, that said, uh, and I had thought about this a couple of times because his thing several times was uh, be prepared for anything. You it's know, uh, pray for the best, prepare for the worst. Right. Yeah. And what's interesting is his pray for the best, right? Right. Because I got the impression that what he wasn't prepared for was a, what turns out to be a massive conflict of faith. Right. That's right. Uh, yeah. I think that uh, that's a great observation. I think that's a real strength of his character is being able to play that off. I mean, he he was prepared for the end of of social socialization. He's telling his son that things may go. And what's funny is he tells his son, you know, things may go. Um, people may be at each other's throats and things that you got to be prepared. And yeah, it's going to be you. You're going to be the only thing uh, who can stand between you know you your life and death or whatever he says. Exactly. And what and what you notice is that he has no ability to control him his own self when when he is outside the realm of normal operation. Right. Like he doesn't know what to do. He you see him several times praying, you know, for for direction, praying for. Uh, understanding, for, you know, forgiveness, but but doesn't stop him. I mean, every you know, he, he just literally he's like a he's like a pinball. He he, whatever he needs, whatever you know, takes him. He's in direct line because remember, you know, he's told everyone I will protect you, and, he, and you can tell he's not. He's just become completely unhinged. Well, and I think it, it's all in that line: pray for the best, but prepare for the worst. I mean, he really that is almost like the yin yang within him, you know. It's the the prayer that he's going to be able to handle uh, things, you know, on kind of that faith-based plane that he operates. But preparing for the worst, I mean, that means you you're doing some dark stuff in that in that yeah. world, you know. Yeah. And that was to me the real interesting path they took with the character of Keller. Of you know, he's making some pretty convincing arguments at the beginning. You know, when he's he's abducted Alex, he's got him locked up, and he's trying to help you know Terrence Howard. You know, we've we've got to get an answer from from him, and he's like, you know, it could be this other guy. How do you know it's him? And he's, you know, he says to him, you know, our girls are out there, and if you're thinking about letting him go, know that nobody is watching out for our girls the way you're watching out for this guy right yeah. here that we've got. And it's like, okay, yeah, we've got to be tough because we our kids are important to us. And it's like, okay, you know, and even even you know, Terrence Howard, uh, the the wife played by. Uh, Violet Davis, you know, she's she's on board with this for a while. And then it finally gets to the point where they just sort of wash their hands of it and say, we're we're not going to participate this in this anymore, but we're not going to stop him. Right. You know, they, they're not willing to go that far, which which but makes them what, complicit, which is what, you know, I well, think that's oh, yeah, one yeah. of the things I, I really oh. like about that. Like she is she's yeah. acknowledging her, her, you know, that she's complicit in it by by walking away. It was a really interesting role comparison yeah. for her with this in doubt. Yeah, because you know, it was very much the same reaction that she had in that film. 
but what's really interesting is by the end of the story, after you track everything through, it is a you know this the film takes the to me the the stance the film takes is the end justifies the means because only because right. Keller abducted Alex were they able to actually get those were those children able to be saved if he hadn't taken Alex those kids probably would have died but because yeah. he did that and everything that every consequence that happened as a result of that is what you know leads to the end of the film I I have I have two I have two things that I've been dying to mention about that first one's pretty simple um when you look at the four parents mm -hmm. so the, the one that was most morally clean was the one that was basically whacked out on on valium the whole movie right right oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right she didn't she'd have completely to completely given she, up yeah, right well, well yeah. she'd given up she and she'd given up very early and she had um, which, which in the what is that? Movie, but but wait, like, what okay, does that equate to, Mike? Does that equate to her losing faith? I mean, do we extend? Is that too on the nose for our faith argument? But I don't know. I don't know if, if I don't think they ever talk about faith with her, right? I, well, know, what I, I know what you're trying to say, and maybe I just haven't thought it through. But but she well, she basically surrenders to the to the loss and surrenders to the moment, and base you know she's not fighting it. Well, I, I do think we should be fair real quick just, just to interject and say there is level of change. I mean, initially it's denial, and it builds down to that surrender and, and just giving up. Well, and Sorry I think, to interrupt. Oh, and I think she does have sort of a crisis of faith when she looks at Keller and says to him, you know, you said you could protect us. You know, she had faith that, that, that he was going to be able to provide. Yeah, she had faith in him that he would be able to provide, you know, a safe, environment for their family and he let her down you know that's i think what sort of her her faith you know is lost in him and that le what does that leave her with not not much of anything else that we can see i think is yeah is what that goes. I, I felt the two mothers performances were absolutely believable like i i could see both of those things happening in 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 reality the the problem i had was the the, the father's um performances like, hmm. like just, just what they did. I mean, I could see one, a mother breaking down emotionally. And the other one basically went quiet. And then when faced with, you know, what was going on, you could see the, the conflict of her, that she was having between, uh, you know, this is wrong, what they're doing to him, and a glimmer of hope that this might turn out to be her, you know, to, to find her daughter. And she's like, okay, you know, and, and let it go. And then she basically withdrew. I mean, I, I, could, I felt both of the mother's performance the characters, what they were doing were believable. I, I did have more of a problem with the fathers, though. Wow, I, that was not my sense with the fathers at all. I mean, it, it particularly, you know, I, I didn't really resonate with Terrence Howard. Um, it, right. You know. I thought his performance was the worst. It, yeah, the I mean, it, it just was, I, I, it's like, it, it's, that, it's that old uh, Casablanca line, you know. I mean, if I gave it any thought, I probably would detest it. You know, yeah. it's like... Yeah, right. but but right. I I do um, I I thought Hugh Jackman was uh I, you know I I thought he was a vessel of exactly the range of emotions uh, and uh, that that I would 
uh, feel myself in this sense. Like, Absolutely. you know, I, I, I felt that rage through the course of, of watching this film. And, and, and so insofar as I may not have, you know, if I, if I play this drama out in my head, I may not actually do the things he did, but I sure as hell would have wanted to very, very badly. And, and that I think is what really connected me to the heart and soul of that line of this film that, that I felt like it tapped into this, this place inside me as an audience member that that really riveted me it just i i was i was right there with him in in particular uh his explosion in the car uh you know when he is pounding on the dashboard saying you know you, you know she's she's not you know she's not imagining you're coming for her she's wondering why am I, why i'm not there not you me i i was just uh, you know I bought the seat, but I only needed the edge kind of a thing. You know? I mean, it was, it, it, it was really powerful. I think I had a hard time buying into him. And I'm not saying that, that there weren't moments that were perfect. I mean, pure perfection, right, for me. But there were other times, like what, how he got him there. Like the, the, um, there were um, um, blind POV moments, right? So you don't see him grab the guy... You know, you don't see all the steps it takes to get him into the house, and then after that, you don't see all the steps it took it takes to to do it. And, you know, and I understand we don't need to see it, right? But it made it seem a little bit um, artificial. Because okay, I, 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 I like you spent a lot so. more time. Well, I know, but you, you from a from the cop thriller part of aspect of yeah. the movie, it makes per it's perfect execution, but it it makes it harder for me to buy into him emotionally. Yeah, the 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 Keller character because you spend you're spending more time over here with the detective, you know, right. so, and, and, you're, think... and you're seeing him go through and go through the the, so whenever they're mad at him, you're like, but he's working his ass off, leave him alone, yeah. you know, it's like you're much more, mo I, I find myself more more emotionally attached to the detective than I am the father. Well, I think that we can attribute that to Roger Deakins' cinematography. On this, because I, I think no less than three or four times we have these just wonderful slow push-ins, the, pu the slow push-ins into the back of Jake Gyllenhaal, starting from when he's in the Chinese restaurant and we first see him, it's just, we see him from the back and the camera just slowly, you know, is, is moving towards him. And it does that at least, I think, two or three other times where he's, he's someplace either at a desk or standing, contemplating, and the camera is just on him slowly moving towards him. And we have so much... Uh, time that is sort of thoughtful time with him. Whereas I see with Keller, it's always, you know, moments of action and noise. Whereas we have more moments of, of thoughtfulness and reflection with detective Loki, which to me seems like it, it's precisely uh, the balance that we should strike in, in a, in this sort of a, a detective thriller. And, and, you know, I, I found myself questioning those blind POV moments too, Mike. I mean, there's just, there's this, um, but but one of the things that you, you know I think Andy and I have been talking about at, at more uh, at greater length over over recent weeks is this whole idea of the of, you know the the things that happen off screen and the way they are portrayed, particularly in the Coen Brothers series, and and this harkened back to me to the you know some of the best examples of of you know of that 
um, you know, of the, the some of the killings in No Country for Old Men or, or uh, uh, you know, Blood Simple, that, that, uh, that we have this sense of, um, you know, something happened and we get to be present for the reveal and the reveal is better because we don't see how it got there. And that, that was right. the sense I got when he introduced Terrence Howard to the bathroom uh, was, right. holy crap. Right. Yeah. But see, in that, in that particular moment, you're in Terrence Howard's um, yes. POV, right? The, 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 the effect, and I'm not saying it's in, in, inappropriate for the movie, but the effect is that, is that in the beginning of the movie, you're, you're in the parent's head. You're like, what would you do if you were a parent and this happened to you? And this is what... You know, this is one example. This is another example of how you'd react. And as as you say, maybe goes into the second act, you find yourself being disconnected from him, from the Keller character, as a who you're supposed to be sort of inhabiting, and you become more onto the detective. And then the Keller becomes a a um, a suspect, like a piece of evidence. Yeah, yeah suspect evidence. Um, another line. I mean, it's drama. It's 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 tense. It's thriller. But but I I sense the shift away from the parent as the where you know the inhabitant to the detective. Which is you know what I yeah. I, I I think, and I'll just make this really short, Andy, because I, I I that's I want to be that guy. Um, that is, I think, one of the things I really liked so much about it is that I walked into this movie based on my understanding of the trailer, really hating you guys for picking this film. <laughs> so did I. Right. And and the difference is I think Mike still feels that way. <laughs> and I really don't because I was I was thrilled that this wasn't just a kidnap story. Like there was a there was a certain sense of complexity to the story and the the dramatic resonance for me was in that the, the kind of tossing back and forth between Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman. Yeah, it's like watching the I think the difference is, I think it would have been a much harder film. I, I mean, I went into the film feeling skeptical also watching a film about kids get kidnapped for any parent is a very hard subject to handle. Uh, and I'm sure it is for just people in general. But it's different watching a film where it's it's parents hopelessly watching as the detective tries to solve a case of finding their missing children than a film where one of the parents is actively trying to figure it out themselves. I, I think it, it, it in some way it like gives me a little more hope. It's like watching Taken. I was just going to say know, that. You, yeah. Yeah, it it you're you're more in there and you feel like there's more of a connect like yeah, I want to be that guy. I want to be the the guy who will stand up and fight and do everything I can to save my kids come hell or high water whether whether the ends do justify the means or not. Um I I I feel like that's why I I don't find this as as uh, difficult a film to watch as if it as if like I said as if the parents just didn't do anything and just sat there and it was really the story of the detective just doing it and I I am a bit um, I don't know I I I didn't have the the struggle that um, that sounds like some of you did with the uh, connecting to the Hugh Jackman character I stayed connected to him like through the entire film I was so in with his performance and the ups and downs of emotion that he had and the rage and the the sorrow and just everything all the way through um, the frustration. I, I was connected to him from beginning to end and I was also connected to Loki and in the scenes between the two of them I really felt a lot of power in the way that they played those two scenes and I loved the way that Loki um, 
handled Keller. And I, I loved the the way that he knew how to handle parents in these sorts of situations when they had that rage and that anger and how he could bring them down. And I, I just felt like the story found a nice balance between the two. And I, I never felt like it lost uh, connection for me with the, the, you know, who I was supposed to be following. I enjoyed kind of the two worlds of it. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> Deep commentary from Pete Ryan. Well, I think I, you know, and I think though, if if there's any point where I sort of lose that connection with with Keller, it's at the point of his abduction, because then he starts to become the victim and becomes much. I don't want to say a more passive character, but now he's in. He's lost control. So whereas Loki always seems, you know always things may slip out of where he wants them to be. But he, as he said, I always need to know where everybody is. You know, he's, he's, it's always get a sense of even when, you know, they find Bob and all the evidence at his place, it's, you know, he's devastated, but it's, he's been in control. It was something that was, you know, that's, that's what happened. Whereas I feel like Keller at the end, it's like, okay, now the power's been taken away from him, and it's harder for me to stay connected to him. And even as, you know, we get to the final final shot of the film, which apparently upset a good majority of the audience with, <laughs> yeah. that, that I saw it with, um, that it just, you know, it, it leaves us with Loki, you know? And I thought that we maintain a stronger connection to him through that last, you know, last but what part I, of the I, I But what I, I like to... Sorry, go ahead, Mike. Uh, real quick, I didn't have an issue with the end. In fact, oh, so no. I, 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 I almost felt like um, the moment when um, uh, Holly pulls the gun on him, right? Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. Um, that it was in that, in that moment he, got, he gained redemption. Because cause throughout most of the movie he's, he's unhinged. Um, he's, he, in a lot of ways he makes you know, bad decisions, but you know, whatever. But like I said, I had a hard time saying, you know, maybe I wouldn't have made the same decisions, whatever. But and, and you don't know kind of what he's doing. But in that moment, he, he becomes, yeah, he becomes a victim. But in, in a sense, he, he sort of becomes redeemed in, in my eyes, at least, because it's like, oh, now he's got trouble. And it, what it does is it throws this whole thrower aspect because like, because of his behavior. It's like nobody knows where he is. Nobody knows how it's going to be. He's going to, he, he found it out who, he found out who the person was, you know, instead of the cops or whatever. He's there doing it. And, and it could go completely unnoticed because he wasn't working with them. So it's like, I don't know, for some reason I felt like it was a redemption for his character, not, you know, because maybe emotionally I was suddenly connected back to him. Now I'm feeling like, you know, I'm feeling fearful that if he doesn't, Get out of this! That uh, his daughter won't be able to. Well, be and that was that was the part that that really jumped out on uh, out to me too. It and it was reminiscent of another film that I I, I really liked a lot of elements of the vanishing. Uh, do you guys remember yes, that one? Exactly. Yeah, right. you know, I assume you're talking about the original version, not the oh, God, cheesy. Yeah, not... Okay, the cheesy Jeff Bridges, Keith <laughs> Sutherland version, the original Dutch I version. Know, I don't know if cheesy is even the right word to use. Oh for that my one. gosh. 
But no, I thought as soon as she said, "If you want to, if you want to see her, you you have yeah, to this do this. You key. have to do the same thing, yeah, or this is your yeah. key to get to be connected with her." And and, and that was another one that I, you know, I I wanted it to, uh, I wanted it to be a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, significant, knowing that we were already at that sort of that two hour and ten minute mark. I was, you know, I was ready for some resolution, but, um, uh, but but that was that again that sense that I I was so as Andy said so connected to his character uh because um you know i uh, th- that is an emotion that i absolutely understand i will do the stupidest things for my kids um and so. and just uh, jumping back into the the whole thing with the ending the thing that i like about the ending that um I, I, I understand the point of, you know, we lose track of Keller. He gets kidnapped. He he all of a sudden is now uh, not so much the focus of the film anymore. And now it all is about Loki. But the thing that I really like about that is for the whole film, Keller has been this guy who, in a way, I mean, he's been reliant on the cops only so far as they're doing the investigation. But to the point where he just doesn't feel they're doing anything. And he forces himself to, like, to do extreme things. Uh, so that he isn't reliant on anybody except himself. And through getting kidnapped at the end, even though, as Mike said, and I think Mike's exactly right, he finds redemption in that moment. He's finally proven the the case. He knows where his daughter is. Unfortunately, it leaves him in the bottom of a hole that nobody has access to. But all of a sudden, now we've got this moment where now Keller really does become reliant on Loki. And it's only through kind of his his persistence and everything that Loki does end up finding him. And I, I really enjoyed the way the film ended. Okay, so we got yeah, it. Yeah, I think Mike would have liked. I think Mike would have liked that end more if if the uh, the Wolverine you know claws had come out and he could have clawed his way right up out of that <laughs> and ripped that like transam apart. Well, yeah, just like in the in Wolverine. Yeah. Now that is one thing that's different in the in the script. In the script, at that point when when Loki's getting into the house, there's a scene where um, where Keller has managed to climb his way up to the top, managed to sort of peek, crack out, open under the, the plywood, and he's pulling his way under the, the uh, car, and he rips, like, some pipe, and he gets drenched with oil, and he's coming in the house, this just oil-drenched dark figure, and he's in the house at the same time Loki's in the house, and then it turns out it's all a dream. He's still trapped in the bottom of the, the pit, and I thought, oh... Yeah, that would have been way worse. Yes, yeah, that's... exactly. So they, I think they culturally, they <laughs> culturally, I think or, we're finished yeah. with it was a dream stories. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I'm, that was I one thing. Think... As I read that, I thought that just would have totally <laughs> just killed the end of this film. Yeah. I mean, you. I mean, you guys. I think it was amazing that they didn't. Uh, they amazing. Kinda... I get it. Yeah. I think they kind of got out of it a little bit. There's that's the key, Pete. <laughs> is that the, it is... was amazing. It was, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I really hate you guys. It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's do a. Can so we do a? Can we just was, do a quick? It was great. Okay, keep going. Go no, do you. That's this is what I want to know. Like, I what your thought of uh, the ending and what the audience you were with thought of the ending. Uh, oh, yeah, I think it was. I think a lot of the um, result was like meh, like really, because because they get out of the the the, um, the filmmakers get out of resolving. They they get the happiest ending. Both girls get back all the bad guys are dead and 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 all the parents are, are alive and the cop is the guy that did it they, yeah. they they don't have to deal with the fact that that dude's going to jail even though they kind of talk about it with the mom that dude's going to jail there are there are there are he doesn't get to experience any of the repercussions 
for you know but her his daughter's fine yeah that's great because i remember there was a couple of moments when uh like when um the detective was talking to keller in the house right and and i think the detective kind of was trying to feel him out like you know it, when he was in the car later on he's like you know like maybe alex and he was trying trying to maybe ask him questions like you know you got alex hidden somewhere don't you or you did something to him didn't you like I almost wanted him to say like it'll be worse if he's dead, you know, because he, he he was on the moment where, where the, he might not survive, what he's doing to him, right? And it's like, what's the consequence if he, if the, if he gets out and he's right. alive, or he gets or, or he or he gets back and they find the guy and he's dead? It's like a completely different consequence, right. you know. Right, it. and and because we've had this whole experience of this, uh, you know, this issue of faith and what will you know what what your faith will drive you to do. There is this sense that that we have to see some some penance, uh, mm-hmm. even though we we love uh, we we love this father that has taken on this more active role. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if we needed to see the penance though, and see that's why I think the ending for me is perfect. If if we saw the penance, I mean, yes, we we all know that the penance is going to be there, but that's not what the story about. Clearly, the father doesn't care what penance he's going to have to have to pay he's perfectly willing to pay the penance in order to save his daughter's life and i think to me that was you know that was what the ending was about is like the penance didn't matter what mattered is that he he proved that he was right he saved his daughter's life and and i loved the the simplicity of the ending i loved where it cut off the best reaction in my crowd was the the girl in the back and it, it's completely illogical, but the girl in the back who, as soon as it ends and it cuts to the title again, Prisoners, directed by uh, blah, 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 uh, she goes, sequel. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, Steve, Steve, uh, what was the reaction in your theater? Yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, huh, what, uh, no, as, if, <laughs> as in disbelief of they didn't get to see, you know, what, you know, I thought they set up very clearly. Loki is the guy that always gets his man. He always solves every case. So it's clear he's going to solve this one. And I think, you know, again, if we, there, there's no other way to end. I mean, again, I think the film set up so much, you know, of it doesn't have to show us everything. When Loki comes in to the hospital with the girl, it's like we just see him coming in and then it's like fade to black. And then it's like the next morning, you know, even, even early in the film when Hugh Jackman's calling the police, like, uh, you know, Calls the police. Then it's cut to several hours later of Loki getting the call on the radio. Hey, we've found the RV. Well, how right. long have they been looking for? So right. it's it's we don't need those things. Skip the stuff that you you should know. If you're an intelligent well, audience. What's going yeah. to happen? And so, and so 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 what was horrific about that was that, that he almost didn't hear it because he could. You could hear the the blowing on the whistle was so right. light because you right. could. You probably surmised that. He was blowing for hours oh, for, and hours right, and hours because right. of all the generators and the radio. Yeah. Nobody could hear it. Right. 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 But you you knew he was going to find him because he his eyes locked on the. Oh yeah. The, I, uh, yeah. I I my audience uh, the, the as soon as the the uh, title card comes up I hear stupid and the audience starts <laughs> laughing and and it, this is an audience that has been riveted and on the edge of their seats too for the whole two and a half hours and yet. Somehow the end didn't play for me, and this is a really uncharacteristic feeling that I have here. I 
find myself fantasizing a little bit about what would have happened if we hadn't seen the look of res- of, of uh, recognition on Loki's face. And that is something that I never think about. I'm always about the Hollywood popcorn ending. I love that. Yeah. I love that sense. And in this case, I could have let uh, Hugh Jackman go. Uh, after after this oh, movie, yeah. I could have been satisfied with that ending too. Yeah. Uh, I, I I agree with you though, Steve. I mean, I I think they set it up, uh, um, you know, they set it up really uh, sort of perfectly. Um, uh, that you know, even we had the we know that Loki always gets his man, and we had the conversation in the hospital. Do you think you're going to find him? And he looks up and says, "Yeah, yeah I'm going to find him." Yeah. And then he right. blinks really heavily again. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so, and the other the other thing that I, I mean, I have to keep asking myself before they started digging in the dirt in the yard when they have kind of like stumbled gone on through the property and and like maybe maybe walked across the backyard and into the back garages and found Keller's pickup truck back there. There was a I scene mean, with that I don't know in, how far back she drove it. Yeah. Right. No, the, I mean, she, the, I know she drove it back into the back part right. of the property, but I'm assuming that. They would probably, you know, go through the whole top part of the property before they start digging. Right. But that's, you know, yeah, that's the, a minor quibble. Right. In the script, Loki does find the truck. And there's a there's scene with the um, the forensic guys have actually, like, gutted the trans and They've, like, taken the seats out of the car and, you know, torn them up looking for evidence. Um, so th- there were scenes like that. So director made a choice to to restructure yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. I have, I have a question. At that point, you got to speed it up. Right. So... As I got out of there, I was thinking about the title of the film. It's not called The Maze, or it's not called, you know, <laughs> Creepy Woman Steals Children. It's called Prisoners. So who are the, pri- who are the prisoners? Creepy Woman Steals what? Children. <laughs> I, thought, I thought the uh, going into the movie. So yeah. you're, you're so, you're right. Going into the movie, I was thinking about the exact same question. And I was thinking, like, well, you know, just not even seeing the movie i was like well the parents could be prisoners because they're you know prisoners of the situation and loki's and a prisoner the of the system and, yeah exactly I, I actually thought that that they had chosen that name because it, there could be so many um um you know thoughts about it so many ways to interpret it yeah and i think i came out that way i mean in a way because of that maze mentality or the maze mindset that these parents imbued on these children and mm. uh, I just everything seemed like everyone really kind of was prisoners in their own way right yeah. hey, Andy stop trying to make that maze thing work yeah <laughs> let's do uh we've we've been uh, rambling on quite some time let's do a little speed round and and uh give some some final highs lows and thoughts on on the film uh Mike oh, yep shoot. you're first um I, okay so I felt the whole movie was it maybe you know, as a father, you know, we don't do, deal with this as much. It was like emotional torture. I felt I felt that as much torture as they did to the, the character, Alex, uh, we were having, we were basically experiencing as an audience just watching the movie. The way I thought, I thought it was masterful, the way they played with, uh, with emotional highs and lows, like a violin, right up like the, um, through the end of the movie, uh, the part where the, the chase I mean, not the chase, but the guy with the cop, a uh, detective is driving the the um, the Daughter. girl to the hospital, and you're like, and you know, you're just going through your mind up and down, like he can't see. He's, if if he crashes, they're not going to know what they put in there because he's got the vial, and they're not. She, you know, it's it was. I was on the edge of my chair for that whole thing. I felt it was it was really well done, 
as 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 where they kind of would screw around with the with the with the uh, viewers. Um, the, the downside is I think they just had too much. It almost felt like it was an editing room floor mistake. They had lots of these distractions. I think some of them didn't get resolved, and some of them were distracting. Um, and that's in that sense because they were unresolved, like the like the symbols or the tattoos on the detective and things like that. But overall, I really enjoyed it. Excellent, Andy. Um, I, you know, I didn't have really any of those problems, and you know, I, mean, I <laughs> maybe maybe have the benefit of having seen it twice, so maybe I've had more time to kind of think about it. But um, I I did find that the story as a whole, seeing it, everything really connected for me. And, uh, you know, I felt it was um, very assured filmmaking. The pacing, I thought, was really well paced. He, the director really knew um, when to take his time. He didn't feel the need to resort to these jump scares, create these uh, kind of false emotional moments just to tug at the heartstrings. I think he knew how to handle the subject and the genre. Um, it was uh, and Roger Deakins absolutely should finally win his Oscar for the, the stunning look of this film. I mean, it, it turns this, this, uh, rainy Pennsylvania, uh, town at Thanksgiving into just the, the most frightening of places. Um, you know, the performances, I think all really hit home, very strong performances all the way through, um, except Terrence Howard, who I, I felt a little, uh, false at times, but everyone else I think really worked well for me. Um, it is definitely a film to think about. There's a lot of questions, a lot of things you really have to kind of piece together on your own, but I really liked that about the film. Uh, overall, I would highly recommend it. Excellent. Steve? Yeah, I'm going to echo Andy on, on that. I mean, so many great things about this film. Roger Deakins' work is amazing. It just, you know, elevates, you know, this fine film already. Uh, you know, I think two, a two-and-a-half-hour runtime, you know, I did the pacing, just kept me moving along through this. Great story, great performances. Only, if I was going to nitpick one little thing, is when Detective Loki gives his business card to the girl at the, at the clothing store, I think. <laughs> oh, I in saw the back of my too. head, I said, okay, so now we're setting up where he can get a phone call at whatever time is convenient for the story to either reveal his location if he's hiding to distract him from seeing something. So it was just that where I kept thinking, okay, ooh, here's a really tense moment. Is his phone going to ring to just, you know, derail <laughs> this? No. Which it, and it, it did. Minor, yeah. Which it yeah. does. <laughs> minor nitpicky thing because it's, you know, but everything else, I mean, there's so much, the strength of it, you know, how everything connects together, you know, all these stories woven together in such a way that just craftily done of introducing information that you then see again in a different light later on as everything weaves together. Um, you know, to me, this really reminded me of Zodiac and just a really complex story with a lot of characters over, you know, although over a much shorter period of time, just very, very satisfying. I, uh, you know, I agree on almost all points. I think uh, for me, the real highlight here is is Hugh Jackman, and I I hope he um, I, I hope he gets broader recognition for this film. I don't know if it necessarily means some sort of an, an award, but I, I felt deeply connected to his portrayal of this father in this film. Um, it it really uh, I've been as I've been thinking about it, it captures that sort of dark inner lizard brain response to how I would respond to this situation. I think it was very powerful. I like Jake Gyllenhaal too, and and it did harken back 
back to me uh, to Zodiac as well, Steve, but not as powerful as his role I think was in Zodiac, and and uh, yeah, you know, it was good. It was uh, worse than Zodiac, better than Donnie Darko. So uh, I, I think I well, now you know he's got another film coming out with the same director. The do- oh, nice. excellent. They, they shot they shot a film before this uh, where Jake Gyllenhaal plays a, a guy who sees his like exact twin in some film and you know and, and tries to track the guy down i think the trailer just came out in the enemy. title enemy? yes and Enem- enemies yeah excellent yes. i'm gonna check enemy. it out so 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 yeah these these two got to work together before prisoners and develop that sort of director actor oh, relationship awesome. so i'm kind of looking forward well to absolutely I, I, think- I think the deepest or just to, to wrap up my my final thoughts i think that the thing we didn't uh, talk about specifically was uh, they, they just absolutely crushed the casting of two of the creepiest dudes on screen right now with David Dotsmalkian <laughs> oh, yes. and Paul Dano. I mean, both of these guys yes. were equally horrifyingly, awkwardly creepy. And, and you know, to Andy's point, they didn't really rely on the jump scares. And yet, the kind of thriller horror feeling that I got watching, uh, you know, Dotsmalkian in like skulking through these houses, taking the girls' clothes, was exactly the feeling I wanted out of this film, and I think they just nailed it. Uh, and I, I can't believe none of us brought it up yet, but also the moment when uh, Dano is walking the dog and like lifts it oh, up, yeah. and nearly choking. Oh. Yeah. That yes. got the biggest reaction out of the yes, crowd. Like it, did. it was horrified everybody yes. that yes. he was yeah. doing that. Talk about just an, a, one of the creepiest characters. Those moments. little breadcrumbs, you know, they cried. When, they only cried when I left them. You know, I mean, those those yeah. little little moments that that we get to see that that you know are driving Jackman's character crazy. I think just adds to the depth and the texture of their relationship, uh, and and finally really gives you that payoff when he seals him up in the shower. Uh, I yeah. thought that was very strong. Uh, the cinematography obviously was great all the way through, but speaking specifically of the shower, I love the eyeball and mouth spotlights. Oh, those yeah, were incredibly yeah. creepy. I thought they. Just did Especially it. that, what is that, just giant red yes. eye? Yes, oh God, yeah. it was just yeah. horrifying. Um, uh, you know, to me, I think the biggest weakness, uh, you know, in, is, uh, in terms of the visual elements of the film where it was in the, um, the, the the editing, weirdly, you know? I mean, Andy, you made a point about how, uh, you know, there was some great kind of character strength between uh, the detective and the dad when they were on screen together. And to me, I think they're, the, the, the actors themselves, uh, you know, acquitted, acquitted themselves well, but it was just ended up being such a banal back and forth, uh, you know, more like a 60 minutes interview cut together that, than uh, anything that, that gave me any sense of texture on the screen. I found, I found it really bogged down whenever those two were on, on screen together. Uh, and, hmm. and I found that a, that a bit distracting, but overall uh, I deeply like this film and, and, and it is, you know, I think uh, it's a blunt instrument film around this topic. And I, I think it's, it, it is more powerful as a result of it. It is, it is not delicate in the way it handles this subject. And I have this weird feeling that in five years we're gonna we'll get together somehow and say gosh you know what is a great film that's totally underappreciated prisoners uh and yeah, you know i yeah. think this is this is going to be one we're going to want to try to remember and probably won't do a very good job of it mm. well here's a question for all of you how many of you would put this on a i i will watch this again list no why are you asking that yeah. <laughs> i think i think mike's already on the record saying he will never watch this film again i will never watch this movie again it's it's just a really really hard one for me because and and for you know because a you know parent of children it hit it, it was a um 
<laughs> it, it was emotional torture, and I think that they like they knew what they were doing. And I don't necessarily know if I w- if I want to put myself through that again. You know, I I would like to amend the question. How many of you walked out of the theater and said, "You know who really needs to see this? My wife." <laughs> Not me. Nope. <laughs> yeah. My wife already told me that she refuses to ever watch this after having just seen yeah. the trailer. It's like, there's no way I will ever watch that film. My wife literally was going, Why are you crazy in going to watch this movie? Yeah. I'm it like, was it's hard because Andy Andy and Steve told us to. And so, yeah. Let's uh let's go ahead and, and uh, rank it. Are we can we can we jump into that? Sure. Uh, if if we are ready, you can find us at flickchart.com slash the next reel. Uh, flickchart.com slash the next reel. You'll find all of our uh, our uh, our stack rankings of all of our shows uh, and all the films we've 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 hit. I think this is going to be number one fourteen. Is that right? Somewhere in there. Uh, this will be one ten. Or or we're one. Always, we're always a little high. We're we're <laughs> cruising up into the one seventies, and uh, I'm very excited about that. So. All right, here we go. Prisoners or thank you for smoking? Prisoners. Prisoners, yeah. Yeah, I think it would be prisoners. I know Pete wants to go with thank I, you That's for why smoking. I was silent. I just wanted to see. I wanted to see where the wind was blowing. I'll agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, hold on. Saving your choice. Prisoners or hot fuzz? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so we hear you guys do this on your podcast all the time. What it... And you guys have trouble with this too. What what exactly is the like? Would we put it in the? Would we watch it again? Do we think it was a better movie? Which what, what are we what are we what are well, we doing? It's, it's, it's really your your own ranking. I mean, I think I think here on the show, it's 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 a mix of both. I mean, I think there's always yeah. going to be a mix of both. I mean, you look at one that may be a better film, but you really like one better. But and so you probably would pick that one. But in another case. The better film may win out because you're like, well, no, I really have to go with the better film in this one. It's right. you know, I think it changes. I, I think it's constantly I say, valuable. I would say prisoners. In, in a case of prisoners versus hot fuzz, Andy is always going to choose Taxi Driver. So <laughs> we can just take that as a foregone conclusion. Exactly. I, I will go with prisoners on this one. As much as I love hot fuzz, and I, I've talked about it way too much on the show, <laughs> I, I still would go prisoners. It's just it's it's more solid. I mean, it's just a really solid piece of. Well, and to your point, I mean, I would watch hot fuzz. I would watch hot fuzz an infinite number of times before more. Oh, than, yeah. but it, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't. And this is one of those other pieces of that that sort of after you get through the gut reaction of how we rank these things, it is which film really forces you to ask the deeper and more important questions, and and that for me is prisoners. Hands down. Yeah, there you go. Is that a, a unanimous oh, one on that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Prisoners or the world's end? <laughs> this is a tough one, actually. I feel like we I we asked to, some very deep questions. I haven't, I haven't heard the the episode yet for World's End, but I'm gonna yeah. vote prisoners. <laughs> Are we allowed to vote when we haven't seen you, both? You ha- you can't vote if you haven't seen it. So I've seen the movie. I haven't heard the podcast. Yeah, but well, oh, you've okay, seen the movie. Okay. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. As long as you've seen it. This, I, I'm a little torn on this one too, yeah. Pete. I, I feel like The World's End actually has a lot of stuff going on in it, and I really enjoyed that about it. And I think that they, they really stepped up their game above Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. And I might, I don't know. I mean, Prisoners to me is something that is really kind of an award caliber film and i really feel that it's it's way up there the world's end is is not something that's going to be you know getting knock at the door come come award season 
necessarily, but I, I probably would watch The World's End more. I I don't know. I'm a little. <laughs> I'm torn. This is uh, to me. It's a context argument. I'm. I'm not. This is. I'm not really excited to watch Prisoners again, even though it 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 captures something. I think an important kind of emotional reaction. But The World's End is both a film I deeply enjoy. I found myself. You know. I I I like it on a very superficial level. It's kind of fun and and dumb. And it it gets me asking some really interesting questions of myself at this stage, kind of contextually in my life. So I'm going to vote World's End on this one. Man, and, and it's just between you and me. So, <laughs> no, well, Mike, Mike so we has seen him. Mike can, is voting prisoners. Oh yeah, Mike. Yeah, Mike. Mike yeah. voted for prisoners. That's so you are right. you so are actually Steve... the tiebreaker now. All right. Wait a minute. What did Steve? What is he Steve can't vote. vote. He I hasn't seen, seen World's End. Yeah. I was going to say. Oh, you can't even vote. All right. No. Yeah. No. See, my 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 deal about this is that well, so mathematically, um, since I would watch uh, Rush um, an infinite number of times <laughs> before. <laughs> You know more than that. I'm gonna watch Prisoners again. It, it that mathematical side of the equation sort of balance, sort of blocks itself <laughs> out, and I come down to which was the better made movie, which was the movie that that I felt had more craftsmanship, more um, work, more better performances into it. I liked Hot Fuzz. I liked World's End, but this these guys should get more credit for this movie. That's where I rank it. It's it's so hard. I'm gonna go World's End though. Oh, that Boom. is. And wrong. then he just drops the mic. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Walks away. Nelson, Nelson out. <laughs> I I I I completely agree. But there's I you know looking at it's it's tough because when you're it's it's always a challenge and this is the always the argument come award season uh, is the drama versus comedy and. Do they deserve more recognition for the powerful emotional performances they gave uh, than the people who really uh, did some creative, energetic, uh, emotional performances in a comedy? And well, you know, I think Academy. That, yeah, but we're not. They're not voting on this. And and <laughs> so for me, I, you know, I I still think that Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, uh, Nick Frost, all the rest of the guys in that film gave solid performances all the way through. It's just in a totally different contextual situation. And so I'm go. I'm voting for that one. That's all there is to it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next up is Prisoners or Dark City. I would do Prisoners on this one. Yeah. I, I'm waiting for Pete. Dang, I'm yeah, waiting for I, I you. I enjoy Dark City. It's just it's got yeah. some it's I'm, got some flaws in it. That, I'm pulling a Pete on you. I'm waiting to see where I'm, your wind. You know, blows. I'm gonna. I'll show you where my wind blows. <laughs> Uh, I. Come see if my vote's even going to no. count. <laughs> I I am going to uh, I'm going to go for prisoners on this one too. Wow! I also am going to go for prisoners. All right, prisoners or the prestige? Oh, Jackman! <gasps> Jackman oh. versus Jackman. Oh. I I, still I, I I feel oh. like this gives us. I love the prestige. Oh yeah. Though. I mean, oh, that's just such a again. When you talk about structure of the story and yeah, the arcs true. of these characters. Yeah. Uh, the oh, beauty man. of this one, though, is that we can vote for either with yeah, no I guilt. Vote. I vote Hugh Jackman. <laughs> <laughs> I always stand with you. Uh, I'm I'm actually I'm gonna vote for uh, I'm gonna vote for the prestige on this one. So am I. Yeah. All right, three against one. Prestige rules out. The Prisoners or The French Connection? 
French oh. Connection. Stop. Oh, French Connection. Yeah. You really gotta. I won't even vote. <laughs> Prisoners <laughs> are being John Malkovich. Ooh, Andy, where oh. do you come down on this? Since I know you, you're about to go to bed and you're being John Malkovich sheet set. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> I would say prisoner. Are you are you in my mind right now watching? <laughs> I would say prisoners. I, I would I would agree with Mike. I enjoy Malkovich, but I, again, there's just some I don't know. I have some issues with Malkovich. Malkovich. I'm I'm going prisoners on this one too. I doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter. I'm interested. Push the button. I am interested, Andy, however. Come on, Andy. Andy push the button. I um <laughs> Andy push the button. You know, torn. I, I think I'm going with prisoners, but I, I feel guilty about it. All right, number nineteen out of one ten. Oh that's that's you guys good. I think now Where Andy. That computer taxi driver? Where does that put a next taxi driver, Andy? <laughs> Huh? <laughs> well, with Pete's vote on taxi driver, uh, unfortunately, taxi driver is not that high on everybody. Our hear that giant sucking sound? <laughs> yes. Hey, uh, but but uh, you know, actually, where does this rank uh, against other uh, film board episodes? I believe this is the top, right? Probably uh, Let me. Look it's better here. than Prometheus. Let's see. The highest one is yes, it is a prestige or a prisoners. Sorry, uh, prisoners, and then uh, and then World War Z would be next. I yeah. don't want to say the curse is broken, but I'm just saying I'm optimistic for next month's uh, next month's show. I am too. So uh, one little movie connection trivia Please note um, as we're as we're wrapping up. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal and Melissa Leo were in a Homicide on the Street episode. Really? Oh. And uh, which, uh, ironically, was directed by Jake Gyllenhaal's father. Oh, wow. Oh. So a little, little, uh, little thing there for you. I love, I love cool. that. <laughs> uh, do we know? We, we have not decided what we're going to be doing next month. Is that correct? We have right. not. So and, we're going to uh, leave we'll that a big that secret. Out. Uh, thanks okay. again, everybody, for joining us for this uh, for this show on Prisoners. I, I, we're, we, this may be this may be the linchpin episode where the curse is broken, and we're looking forward to next month's new release film board episode. Uh, you can find us as always. You can find us at thenextreel.com. You can uh, just jump over to the film board. You can see all the other episodes that we've done as a team. Uh, head over to the blog and read some of uh, the great posts from the goodly kindly Mr. Sarmento himself. And uh, always join the conversation at facebook.com slash thenextreel. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. We appreciate kind comments and many stars. Those are always nice to receive. And uh, I, I think that's it. Uh, again, every, we did we good did, here, We man. did good we did, here, man. Absolutely. We did really good here. Good work. Uh, thanks, everybody. Steve <laughs> Sarmento, Andy Nelson, Mike Evans. On behalf of all of these yahoos, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next time on the film board.
Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 